Uh, welcome to another episode of Off the Bench with Canel yeah. and Bell. Tommy, welcome back, brother. Yeah, I'm in for Danny Canel. You know, it's funny, like, uh, coming from local TV, it's like, I'm Tommy Tran for Danny Canel. <laughs> so formal and stuff. No, we're, we're not like that here, right? No, we're on button, no ties. Yeah, all of that stuff. We got Thursday Night Football, Seahawks Packers. Uh, talk a little bit of that. Uh, preview this weekend slate on the NFL. Uh, I want to talk Rockets a little bit because they're looking good without Mello. I don't know if it's yeah, addition defense, by subtraction. Yeah, defense. right? Right? Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. And Raja Bell. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Thursday night football. It felt like a playoff game a little bit, at least what I was watching. You know, both teams certainly needed a win. Losers not out of it by any stretch, but certainly the uphill climb is a little bit tougher for them. Sure. So Seahawks do beat the Packers. They come back uh, and win this one with Russell Wilson leading the way. What were your thoughts here? Uh, a few things. Um, the Packers are 0-5 on the road. Mm-hmm. Like that, uh, It's hard to make the playoffs when you can't go out on the road and get a win. But they, their schedule coming up, if they can get Minnesota – um, big if. Yeah, big if, right? But if they could get that, you could start to see some momentum build. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. And then to the Seattle side, you know, a team last year that relied on Russell Wilson to do so, so much, leading them in rushing. Uh, I don't even know what the number is. Uh, now to have a solid ground game, they're number one in the NFL in terms of rushing, rushing with Rashad Penny and Chris Carson. Like, they look real. And, and not real enough to win, but real in terms of balanced, uh, and you can go forward. You have a quarterback in place, you have a running game in place, you look like you can now, uh, take coach off the hot seat and move forward and start to rebuild uh, around the offense there instead of the defense, which was Legion of Boom for a while. Yeah, you know, the identity of, of the Seahawks, we were talking about Russell Wilson, going into the year, though, was like offensive line problems. Can they protect him? And then they, to your point, figured out with Carson, with Penny, even Mike Davis, they have this three-headed monster that they just kind of approach with the running game. Now, I asked our, our guy Dave Richard, fantasy guy, he tracks, you know, the usage rates and, and all the snap counts and everything. So he says the Rams, obviously with Gurley, the best running team in the NFL, but certainly the Seahawks are right there in terms of usage. And then to give Russell Wilson a little bit of help and sure. let him throw out there, and we saw that in that comeback win um, against the Packers. And on the other side, you know, Aaron Rodgers, when he hurt his knee against the Bears opening season game, and it's like as long as he's healthy, they're almost a lock for the playoff. You know, I mean, look, their defense, haha, Clinton Dix is gone. They obviously gave up that uh, – Touchdown to, to Wilson there to end it. But, man, you thought having Aaron Rodgers relatively healthy, the braces off, that he was going to be able to get it done. And yet here they are, you know, sitting down, looking on the outside in. Yeah, I mean, and Aaron played a really good game. And, and if I'm being honest, you know, they were after him. I think he got sacked five times last night. But he was moving, you know, pretty well at times. Like he had one where it was a shoelace tackle. It didn't look like the knee was a huge factor. Um, he was on target most of the time. And then you had that... That third and two late in the game. One throw. It was one throw. And it's crazy that NFL games, you know, boil down to that sometimes. But it was really one throw. And then the question became, you know, should Mike McCarthy at that point have trusted Aaron Rodgers uh, to go ahead and get him that two yards or, what, you know, whatever the play was going to be rather than punt the ball to Seattle? I mean, I don't I don't know. I probably, with that little time and one time out, I probably would have went for it. And I would have put it on the arm of the guy who could be one of the best quarterbacks of all time, but that's you know, me playing Monday morning or, or Friday morning quarterback. No doubt, because that was the argument after the Rams game was what Ty Montgomery did that did not give Aaron Rodgers a chance. And then I think, you know, they're deep in their territory. I think they only had one timeout left, but to your point, and, and it was also brought up by Ryan Wilson on HQ this morning about he thought that uh, they should have went forward and tried to keep the ball instead of go out there and get back to defense. Uh, let's bring in Pete Prisco, senior NFL writer, CBS Sports HQ, and Pete Prisco joining us. Pete, um, 
I don't know how much you heard of what Raj and I were talking about, but what was your biggest takeaway from the Thursday night game? Well, I mean, you guys were talking about him going for it late in the game, and I tend to agree with you. And the reason I tend to agree with you is because Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark were not in the game. And those are the two big uh, defensive linemen run stuffers on that Packers defense. So if you're you know, going to punt the ball away, you'd like to have your full complement of players. So in that situation with Aaron Rodgers, I would have gone for it. Normally, I'd say punt the ball, but with your defense down, those two guys, you have to go for it there. And Rodgers missing that third down throw, that was so unlike Rodgers. I mean, it was just a nonchalant, off-the-back-foot throw, and it just, you know, it, it hit into the dirt. I mean, bottom line is he's got to make that throw to continue that drive. But Packers had opportunities, and uh, they gave away a bunch of them. Every time they seemed to be uh, in a position to go take a big lead, they blow the opportunity, uh, let Seattle back in the game. They did it time and time again. So uh, Packers leave there have to be very disappointed. Pete, let me ask you, man, because I know there's been a lot made of like Aaron Rodgers and his his relationship with Mike McCarthy, and maybe it was just me watching, and maybe it's just Aaron Rodgers' affect. But there are times where he looks like visibly frustrated. Um, is it time for them to make a move? Is Mike McCarthy now on the hot seat? Is this something that if they don't make the playoffs this year, you could see them moving on from him? Yeah, Mike McCarthy is on the hot seat. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. But uh, and part of the problem is the offense is a little outdated. Okay, uh, and that's why I think Rodgers. Uh, has that frustration. He looks around the league. He sees the creativity with the Rams. He sees the creativity with the Chiefs. He sees the creativity with the Saints. And, and then he, his offense is all predicated on, you know, the old West Coast system where they run a lot of ISO routes and they don't pick and they don't rub and they don't cross and they don't bunch and they don't do a lot of things that all these other offenses are doing to take advantage uh, of the defenses with all the rules changes. So I think from that standpoint, that's why he's frustrated. Uh, should Mike McCarthy be fired if they don't make the playoffs? I think I can understand where that would be justified. Uh, I think Mike McCarthy's a better coach than most people do. Uh, he's just his offense is a little outdated and he hasn't really changed with the times. So I want to follow up on that, Pete. You cover the league, what, 30 plus years now and Mike McCarthy, third longest tenured coach in the NFL, only following Marvin Lewis and Bill Belichick. Right behind him, Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Jason Garrett, that type. We talk about change, and we can sit here and speculate about who wants what and who needs that kind of job. How tough would it be for Green Bay to part ways with McCarthy if that were to happen maybe in the offseason here? Well, it's always tough when you have skins on the wall, and he has a Super Bowl there. And, and, you know, there's a street outside. I joke with him about it. It's Mike McCarthy Way. It's right there by the stadium. It's tough to fire those coaches. But let's be real about it. In this business, everybody gets fired unless your name is Bill Belichick, and who knows what's going to happen down the road with that. Uh, you know, you talk about John Harbaugh. He's on the hot seat. He has a Super Bowl ring. Uh, it gets stale a little while. Tom Coughlin got fired with two Super Bowls. It gets stale, and I think that's what you're seeing in Green Bay a little bit. And then everybody looks at the Packers and they say, hey, we're wasting away these golden years with the best quarterback in the league. Let's do something to liven this place up. So I understand it, but it's tough to do. Uh, let me ask you about this Cowboys and Falcons game, Pete. Um, which one of these teams has a better chance of making the playoffs? Boy, I have to say the Cowboys, because their division is so bad, but I I think this is a big-time game for both teams. I mean, they're in big trouble. Let's be real about it. And the Cowboys are caught in the sandwich uh, game here. They play the Eagles' division rival tough game uh, on a Sunday night. Now they have to travel on the road uh, to play the Falcons, who are home for the first time in three weeks. 
And then they have to go back home and play Thanksgiving Day game against the Redskins. So for me, that's a classic sandwich game. I think the Falcons are that much better at home. And remember, they beat them up there last year. Uh, Tyron Smith wasn't in the game. Adrian Claiborne was all over Dak Prescott in that game because the backup left tackle was a was a turnstile over there. Uh, they're healthy there now, but I still think the Falcons are the team here in this spot that will find a way to win the game. You say the Falcons are better at home. I know, you know, they threw a bit of that dud last week, but what do you think of the line? Three and a half here. What do you think Vegas is telling us? Well, I think Vegas is telling you that the, you're getting three at home and they're two even teams, which is probably right. And, you know, they, you got to give the Dallas Cowboys credit on defense, particularly. They've been very good on that side of the ball. They've run the ball with Elliott lately. I think that's why it got them back going against the Eagles. But back-to-back road games and then the sandwich possibility here and and then also you know combine that with the fact that the Falcons are a better team at home. I just think uh, the Falcons are the play here. I, I would lay the three and a half. I think the Falcons win this game by a touchdown. So you talked about the Eagles. So you got the Eagles and the Saints this weekend. Um, first of all, is it over for the Eagles with a loss? And then secondly, if it were to be, um, what went wrong there this year? Is it simple as, as a Super Bowl hangover? Was it Carson Wentz coming back and, and, and trying to play through an injury? Like what, what, what's the reason, uh, for them not living up to expectations? Well, I think it started with the Super Bowl hangover. Co- combine that with, you know, Carson Wentz not being there and Alshon Jeffrey being injured early in the season. Then they had a bunch of injuries on the offensive line. Then they had a ton of injuries in the secondary. Uh, but I think, you know, there is something to be said about the Super Bowl hangover. It, it kind of lingers and it's tough to get past all that. You win a championship and everybody wants to shake your hand and, you know, buy you a drink and do a book deal. And, and it's not the same focus that you had. Uh, maybe the year before. But once you do get focused, then you have all those injuries. It's hard to overcome them. Uh, I do think that they're going to be competitive in this game this week. Look, that's a, a bunch of winners there. They've won a Super Bowl. They know what it takes in big games. They won playoff games last year. Uh, it's tough to win in New Orleans, though, and it's tough to you know slow down Drew Brees on that track. I do think Carson Wentz is going to have a better game than Drew Brees. He will keep his team in the game, but ultimately I think uh, the Saints find a way to win the game. One of Pete's proclamations, Wentz over Breeze in terms of production this week, something to look out for. And one thing, too, they benefit from being a division where, even though it's 4-5, and five, with a loss, they're still right in there with yep. the Cowboys and the Redskins um, to make a potential playoff push. So with that game, on the other side with New Orleans, right, where would you rank them, Pete, right now? I know everyone's going to talk about the Monday night game with the Chiefs and the Rams. New Orleans beat L.A., of course. Where would you rank them in terms of the elite in the NFL right now? Oh, I, think, I don't think there's any question they're the best team right now. Uh, I mean, look, they, they can do everything. And, you know, this week it's a little concerned because in the next week, couple of weeks, because Teron Armstead, their left, left tackle, who's a great player, is out. They got to put Jermon Bushrod in there, which means you got to slide protection that way and could free up Fletcher Cox for some one-on-one situations inside against Drew Brees. But I, I think from across the board, their offensive line is very good. Their wide receiver, we know Michael Thomas is a star receiver. Uh, you know, Drew Brees can make all the throws, and the running game is very good. You flip it to the other side. When they get Davenport going opposite Cam Jordan, he missed a couple weeks. When they get him going, they have an elite pass rush. The secondary is improving. I think the addition of Eli Apple, Giants fans might balk at that, is a nice pickup for them on the back end. So add it up, I think they're the best team in the league. So they went out, the Des Bryant injury, obviously they were trying to supplement with some receiver help there. Do they go back out and try to readdress that, or are they going to stay pat? No, they had a Brandon Marshall, and which you know oh, some my. people say is a, is a glorified, <laughs> he's a glorified tight end. You right. Know, I mean, you know, he's a big physical guy like Des Bryant, but he can't run. And we yeah. saw that in Seattle. You can't run anymore. You're old and slow, and uh, you know he doesn't make too much dough. But usually it's time to go. And and so from that standpoint, I, it's an odd signing. 
he looks like a glorified tight end. Maybe he can do some damage in 50-50 balls in the middle of the field. I think it's one of those just the bodies, like a, you know, like a Jones kind of coming in with LeBron, just coming in there, be a locker room presence. I'm yeah, not really going to be. I was searching for a question, Pete. Admittedly, man, I didn't have a whole lot to go with. Forgive me, Pete. Thanks a lot. Hey, by the way, last night on Sportsline, I think everybody hit. Although Kelly pushed, you said Aaron Rodgers over what 281, and obviously he hit that and then some. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Uh, finally got one right. No, I there you go. I'm doing okay. I, you know what though? Last night I could have swore the Packers would have won that game. I, I, they I should have. To win the game, should have won the game. It, you know, they they gave that game away. It was a bad loss for them, and you know now they got to go play Minnesota. That's going to be a tough game, but their season's going to be side, decided that night. I took Seattle minus three, and I swore to God I went and I almost live bet to hedge my bet, but I said, you know what, I'm going to stick to it. Prime time with Russell Wilson, and, and they ended up pushing. But again, Pete with his picks, the love it so lock it on Sports Line. Check them out as well as all the other platforms on CBS Sports and CBS Sports HQ. Pete, thanks a lot, man. All right, fellas, take care. So one last thought on the uh, New Orleans Saints, like Brandon Marshall. One, well, what? Brandon no. Marshall has kind of the same. Thing. <laughs> Their one loss, yeah. opening week to the to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, nobody remembers it. They are reeling it off. They're playing very well right now. Yep. All right, so that's a look. Uh, good first segment here in terms of the football games coming up. We're going to break down some other things, including college football. Get some of our picks, including the ones that we just talked about. So don't go anywhere. More off the bench coming up. All right, we've got uh, a list we need to get to, right? A couple of picks here that we've got going on. Top 10 teams. Uh, this is what's on the line in terms of the opponent and the spread. And now sort of this is the quote-unquote bye week for the SEC. To right. A bunch of these cupcakes. And for like Alabama, 52 points against the Citadel. Some books aren't even offering because the line's so big. It's crazy. Yeah, Alabama. I mean, you could just kind of pencil them in the cover. Yeah. Point, right? Like they're just doing that. I'm, I'm, first half. I'm really interested. The, the game that I'm really watching this week would be Syracuse and Notre Dame. Um you know, I know Notre Dame's playing really well, um, and when they made the, the quarterback change, obviously it even got better than that. But I just don't know how healthy Ian Book is. Um, and Syracuse is one of those sneaky teams when they come in there with Dino Babers um, and Eric Dungy, a quarterback who can be hot and cold. Sometimes they, they, it, it's a neutral site game, right? It's Yankee Stadium. Like field, This could yeah. be a really interesting game, and it's the one that I'm tuned into the most. Uh, let's bring in Barton Simmons, college football analyst, 24-7 sports. Barton, good to have you on the pod, man. And we were just kind of setting it up here in terms of Syracuse and Notre Dame. Ten and a half is the line right here. What are your thoughts, man? It's going to be a good game. I mean, I'm interested in seeing what this looks like. I, I agree with Raja. I mean, I think Syracuse is a good football team. I think this is a, you know, they deserve their ranking. And, and yet that said, I still trust Notre Dame more in this spot because Notre Dame still, I mean, they, they've got a legitimate talent. They, they've had a schedule that's not as rough as people think. 59th in the country strength of schedule. I mean, they've beaten some teams, uh, including Michigan, first game of the year. And, and Syracuse is a very different team in the Carrier Dome and away from the Carrier Dome. If you're looking at offensive yards per play, they're, they're 23rd in the country in the Carrier Dome. When they're playing away from the Carrier Dome, they're 113th in yards per play offensively. I, I, look, I think Dino Babers has done a great job, but I just think this is going to be a, a spot where he's run up against a team with more depth and more talent. To put those those numbers in perspective, um, if you're playing in the Carrier Dome, you're playing an offense the caliber of Wisconsin. If you're playing away from the Carrier Dome, you're playing an offense the caliber of Tulsa. I, I think Notre Dame will be able to handle this this offensive attack enough I think there may be some points scored on both sides here. I just don't think Syracuse is going to be able to keep pace. Uh, I do like Eric Dungy as a quarterback. He can escape. He can he can run. He can he's got a, a downfield arm, but I don't think he's going to have enough firepower, enough horses to beat Notre Dame on Saturday. 
All right, so we got West Virginia minus five at Oklahoma State. Obviously, Will Greer's a B, 17 career, 300 plus, uh, passing yard games. It's tied for most in West Virginia history with Geno Smith. Uh, but Oklahoma State, you know, even though they're five and five, they gave Oklahoma a scare. They beat Texas. Like, what do you think this one plays out like? I mean, look, I think this was a bit of a toss up here. I mean, I, in terms of the betting number, I, I'll take the points if you're going to give them to me for Oklahoma State because I think they could very well win this game. Um, what I'm confident in is there's going to be a lot of points. I mean, th- these are two teams, not only do they score a lot of points, but but they do it in similar ways. I mean, they will go down the field. Uh, Tylen Wallace for Oklahoma State is a stud. Will Greer, we all know about. Um, these are two of the top 14 teams in the country in terms of explosive plays from scrimmage. And so uh, the, the difference here is that West Virginia's got a defense that's a little bit more equipped to stop the big play. But when you get in those shootouts, and we've seen them in the Big 12 this season a lot. The Big 12 is sort of living up to its reputation this year. Uh, anything can happen. And particularly with this game being at home for Oklahoma State, they that's another team that's been a lot better at home uh, than they've been on the road. Virginia hasn't been quite on the road. So I, I think that this is an opportunity for Oklahoma State to get an upset. Uh, but at the very least, this feels like a game where just two teams are going to go shoot it out and, and see who's left standing. Yeah, I took the points too. I got it at four and a half and right now it's five. So I would like to have the five there. But like, so Oklahoma State, we've seen it's kind of like a high variance team, Barton, where they look really good sometimes and they look bad. But on the other side, what do you think about Wilger and Dana Holgerson? Usually away from home, not as good. Now I know they got off the yeah. schneid against Texas with that win. You mentioned Syracuse kind of home and away. How is West Virginia different on the road? Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, it's it's a different environment, um, and and you know they've got a home field advantage over there in Morgantown uh, that they really lean on. And when you get in these environments in in the Big Twelve in particular, given the way those games play out so often, I mean, they walked into a a, a total bear trap there in Ames, Iowa, uh, earlier in the year when they really got dominated against the state. Um, and this could be another one of those settings. I think in part. You know, given the, given the circumstances, given how these teams gear up for these big games. I mean, Oklahoma State is a good enough team to beat just about anybody. They just can't do it consistently week in, week out. And this is a spot where they can really gear up. And so that's why I think this is a tricky spot here for West Virginia going on the road, uh, halfway across the country. Uh, it, it'll be a fun one to watch, I, I imagine. Okay, huge game for UCF. They got Cincinnati. This is, uh, number one, does the streak come to an end? This is kind of a strength on strength game, right? Like UCF averaging 44 points a game and Cincy only giving up 15 points a game. You see the streak coming to an end? I'm real tempted to, to, to say it's going to happen here. And, and it's not because I don't think UCF is legit because I think they are legit. I think UCF's really good and, and they're probably a better team and have more talent than Cincinnati and further along in the rebuild there. But this is still a Cincinnati team that's that's got some pieces that can really give them some trouble. They've got the number one defense in the country in terms of defensive efficiency. They're playing one of the most efficient offenses in the country, so that's going to be a good-on-good matchup. Offensively, Desmond Ritter at quarterback is a dual-threat guy that can really do some things with both his arm and his legs. And Michael Warren's been one of the best running backs in the AAC. And so... I do look at Cincinnati as a team that can challenge UCF. And when I just look at what is it, 22 games straight now, whatever it is, you know, this has been, at some point it has to come to an end. And, and I think that this is a Cincinnati team that has the horses to go ahead and get it done. Now that said, I think here, here's the big point that I'm keeping an eye on. Um, UCF is one of the best teams in the country at taking care of the football and turning teams over. They're plus 14 turnover margin on the year. 
Cincinnati's minus three. That, that's not too good. And so if Cincinnati turns the ball over and, and gives up a couple possessions along the way, I don't see how they're going to keep pace. But if they can take care of the football, if they can maybe turn UCF over once or twice, I think that that could be the difference and be able to get Cincinnati an upset win. Yeah, I know they got that loss against Temple, but they got a win over the schools like UCLA. I mean, they actually have more of a resume win than UCF does, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, college football show is going to be there, the UCF, so a lot like what we talked about Wazoo a couple weeks ago. Certainly, uh, the UCF campus is going to be jacked up for that one. Um, let's end with some news with Kansas, right? We know David Beatty, um, not going to be there for the long-term future for the Jayhawks, and now Les Miles, perhaps, rumor, got the buyout from LSU, or Dennis Dodson. You know, the two have at least explored or talking about it in the 80. Jeff Long saying we want a guy that not only can be a winner but build a program. What do you make of, of some of the, the chirpiness here of, of a Les Miles potentially going to Kansas? Yeah, I mean, it sure feels like the, the chess pieces are being aligned right now to make this move happen. And it's an interesting move for me. And, and in some ways, I guess it's a safe play. For Kansas, no one's going to really criticize you if you go and hire a coach at Les Miles that's, um, you know, played in BCS national championship games and won the SEC and coached at LSU. I mean, how are you going to criticize a move like that? And yet, I mean, Les Miles is a coach that sort of has a reputation of underachieving with better talent. And he's going to be going to Kansas if, in fact, this is the way things are, are trending to a, a school that is always going to have lesser talent. And yes, he can recruit. But at LSU, he was in probably one of the most um, optimistic, one of the, 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 the best places to recruit in college football, right there in the state of Louisiana where kids are just programmed to go to your school. Now you're going to have to go find some kids at Kansas. And I think it's going to be a little bit different. And he's a guy that's always had his hands on the offense, and he's always kept the offense from evolving. And he's going to have to prove to me and, and prove to Jeff Long and those folks at Kansas that he can take his hands off the offense and hand it over to someone that can 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 be progressive in that. And so I'm I'm a little skeptical that this is the right hire for Kansas. I think there's some good candidates out there, but but certainly it's a safe one and it's one you know Les Miles probably makes that program respectable, but I don't know that he's going to make it any more than that. So real quick before I let you go, then you're kind of hinting that you think Les needs Kansas a little more than Kansas needs Les here. I think Kansas probably likes the idea of getting less on board. Look, they got a bunch of uh, facility upgrades coming, fundraising campaigns on the horizon. So less would be great in that regard. So from an AD's perspective, sure, yeah, maybe it makes sense. I look at it from a football perspective. And from a football perspective, yeah, I, I think that there's other guys that would be a better fit. And I think Les Miles would be should jump all over this and be thrilled to get it. All right, Barton Simmons. I like the casual Barton Simmons, too. I'll see you later on Max Preps as well and other ones of HQ. Barton, certainly appreciate it, man. Thanks. All right, boys. Thanks. All right, we're done with college football. Up next, some hoops. Yeah, baby. Let's talk to Mike D'Antoni. Rockets and defense. Never thought I'd say those two things going into a break, (laughs) but we'll talk about both when we go back. You know, we tried to hit a home run and didn't work out, and he tried everything he could. He was great while he was here and just didn't – you know, it just didn't work out for whatever reason. And, uh, uh, you know, thank you for his professionalism. It was good. So that was Mike Tony without the stash talking uh-huh. about Mello. I mean, look, I don't think it's a shocker to anybody that this didn't work out. Raja, I mean, what did you think? I mean, um, finality. I was of- trying to read Mike's body language to see if Mike was telling truths or if Mike was kind of, uh, but I, Mike's usually a pretty genuine guy. And, 
I'm not there, and I don't have really any, any real insight, so I, this isn't factual. But if I'm reading between the lines, I think Melo was going to be a, the best version of himself in that situation because of what happened in Oklahoma City and what happened in, in New York prior to that. So I do believe that Melo went in there. He was a good soldier. He tried to fit in with the role that they were asking him to play. Um, whether he loved that role or not, I don't think he projected any of those feelings outwardly. Right, So I don't think he was an issue. I just think that the style of game that Melo plays isn't a great fit for Houston, and it's not a great fit for anybody else right now in the NBA because Is of the Is there no te- team out there? There, there's, there are teams out there. I don't, not contenders. I don't believe contenders would really be interested in Melo. First of all, again, the style of play with which he plays – is it's ball stopping. A lot of guys are getting away from that. And if you're going to stop the ball, you better be like KD or LeBron or somebody like that who can still do it efficiently and effectively, and Melo doesn't do that anymore. Secondly, you have to now worry about these are three stops, last three stops that didn't work out, right? Like New York, it ended bad. Oklahoma City, it, it failed. And now Houston, we're talking about 10 games, and you're already moving on. And if you're any team that's trying to something right now that could win something, you have to really be concerned about bringing that into your locker room, whether it's fair to Melo or not, it has to be a concern when you're thinking about bringing him in. It's just tough, man, because like if you were of a certain age to only see this version of Melo, I mean, back when he came into the league with D Wade and LeBron, I mean, he was killing it. Like he was, he was, I mean, a high volume ball centric kind of guy, but he yeah, was obviously an, a multiple time All Star getting it done. Of all those guys, he's the best pure scorer. I mean, he's he's one of the best pure scorers you know the NBA has ever seen. Like he 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 could score the ball in in a variety of ways. He was almost impossible to guard for a guy like me. I was a little too small, and so he played bully ball. He was going right through your chest. Like it was one of the guys that when you had to guard him. Um, you know, you left that game and you had to ice up from like head to toe because it was a battle trying to get him, uh, stopped. You know, it was almost an impossible task. And so, you know, he, he was remarkable. And for people who didn't get to see him, you know, young guys, it, it really is a shame because, you know, I think to some degree he's overstayed his welcome a little bit in the NBA and that starts to get ugly. And typically, um, that's a hard thing. You know, I was listening to, who was it? Jeff Van Gundy? No, it was, it was Stan Van Gundy and- the other day. He quoted someone else as saying the hardest thing to do is coach an aging star. Right. And, you know, that's what he finds. That's what these coaches find themselves having to do with Melo. You are the last person to know as, a, as an athlete, as a competitor, you're the last one to see yourself for who you really are in terms of when you start aging and you can't do it anymore. You always believe because you've always believed. And that's what allows you to be on that stage that you can do it. And everybody else is like, you can't do it anymore. It's a hard pill to swallow. I think what's really interesting is the, the last one and a half seasons for Mello. It's not like he had a team where the GM is trying to incorporate a few pieces and it didn't work out. It was him going to OKC, it really not working out. Then going to his buddy CP3 in Houston, hoping that would work out. And then only last 10 games. So it'll be really interesting to see which team would take a flyer on him or if what he wants to take a flyer on a team. Well, see, the interesting part about Melo is he reminds me of, of AI to a degree where you have their style Good comparison. Makes, makes you have to build around them. Right, because it's such a unique style in that they can go out and get you buckets at any time, but it requires them having the ball and being on the ball a lot. Super high usage rate. And at this point in his career, don't know that anyone's willing to build around Melo. He's not the type of guy that you drop into another situation and say, be complimentary. He is a piece that you build around. And you're just, unfortunately, he's not, he's not good enough anymore to build around him. And you're seeing him try to be that piece that you could drop into different places and, 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 and supplement what they already have, but it's not working out. Uh, it's funny you brought up AI, right? You got, uh, Sixers and then Nuggets and then who remembers the Pistons stint that he had? Right. Which is kind of crazy. And-
course now uh, with his transition that he got there. All right, so enough association talk for now. We got what moving the line coming. up? Yeah, man, let's get into it. We picked Dude, I think DK's creeping up on you. Danny went four and one last week, seventeen and twenty one. I went one and four, so it's eighteen to eighteen. Um, let's start with the Syracuse game. We got Syracuse, Notre Dame, um, it's ten and a half points. Notre Dame by ten and a half. What you got? I like Syracuse. I played this just because I think the ten and a half's a, a little big here. Syracuse. I know it's the neutral field over the stadium, that kind of deal. Notre Dame getting Ian Book back. I think they're just going to be comfortable playing to win and getting out of Dodge. I don't think they're going to run it up or anything. And then, so Brandon Winbush came in. They, they trashed Florida State. Right. Uh, DK not here. But the, the week before against Northwestern, they were on the road, played tough, and got out, eked out a 10-point win. So I think that's what's going to happen. Okay, I'm with you on that. I think neutral site. Um, I don't know how healthy Ian Book is. And so for a lot of the reasons you articulated, plus that, I'm going to take Syracuse with the points also. Do we have Danny's picks, guys? Is anybody back there? Do we have Danny's picks or no? All right, so I okay. He's Coca. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pick for you, Throwing Danny. Out the Danny's taking Notre Dame. Danny's taking Notre Dame. All right, so now let's move on to West Virginia, Oklahoma State. West Virginia minus five. What do you think? Same thing. You know, we talked to Barton Simmons about it. I just don't like West Virginia. They're a good team, but away from home, you just don't know. And so they're laying the five points. I think Oklahoma State, you know, can. They'll probably lose, but it'll be by like three points or less. Okay, I, I can see this one being a shootout. Um, Will Greer. Down the same guy away from home as he is at home. But I think this is the week uh, where they figure it out. And I think in a high-scoring game like that, I think there's a there's a potential for it to be bigger spread than that. So I'm going to take a five-point uh, and, and go with West Virginia on that. Uh, let's move to the NFL. Cowboys at Falcons. Falcons minus three and a half. I like the Cowboys. I've been trying to get on the Atlanta train. I know Pete was talking about how well they play at home. But after the performance that they had, and they really laid it done last week, um, I just got to think the Cowboys, even though I don't have a lot of faith in it, I yeah. think it's, again, a close game, I think. In this this was a tough one for me, too. And I just – I think the Cowboys' offense is going to continue to get a little better, a little better. Uh, Dak Prescott, uh, they picked up Amari Cooper. I think Dak's playing a little bit better. Um, uh, did I say Dak Prescott twice? Ezekiel Elliott. Um, <laughs> anyway, with Falcons, D, I don't trust them at all. So I'm going to take the Cowboys to win that, um, even though it's, it's, it's in Atlanta. And then we had Eagles Saints, uh, Saints minus eight. In the dome. Yeah, that one, man, I know the public's gonna be all over New Orleans, and so I just like the value of the Eagles. I think they're gonna, they're gonna get up for this game, and they, you know, come off that embarrassing loss to the Cowboys yep. last week. So this is one of those things where, when you talk about sports betting too, it's just sort of like sell high, buy low, and I think with the Eagles, they're really low right now, and I think they're gonna make a game of it, although it, it could very well just end up being a blowout. Um, you're gonna probably crush me, cause I had the Eagles for all the same reasons you just said, and then I like scratched it out, and I went with the Saints just for the dome effect, and how high power that all is and the Eagles it one of two ways right like you could have that bounce back where you're embarrassed from the Dallas loss or you could have a team I mean that that kind of hangs their head and feels sorry for themselves give me no reason to believe that because but I'm going to say it happens this week the Saints with the eight and I think there's one thing too and it happens more in college and I think it happens in the pros the whole the whole look ahead or the effort thing but I think with the Saints when they have the game at least the tiebreaker over the Rams I don't think they want to drop a game down I think they put the keep the pedal to the metal yeah all right. Well, that only thing scares me too, but I took Eagles. I hope you're right for my sake. <laughs> um, Steelers at the Jags. Steelers minus five. Uh, Jags been really struggling lately. Yeah. Steelers look good. Same thing. Steelers look good. Jags at home. Five points is a lot. I think if it was closer to three, I'd take Pittsburgh, but I do like Jags. Okay. I'm going to take the Steelers. I think they continue to roll. You got Le'Veon Bell, monkey off your back. Um, I don't trust break borders and the Jags. That defense has been terrible. So I'm going to take the Steelers. All right. Be interesting to see how you and I pay. D- Danny just fades me on every pick. Just. <laughs> well, so it worked out last week one yeah. and four. four. <laughs> <laughs> See how it goes with that one. 
All right, good stuff there. Uh, when we come back, we're talking about a little bit more in terms of fantasy football. I reference Dave Richard. He's going to join us and talk about a couple more things here off the bench. Welcome back to Off the Bench, Tommy Tran, Raja Bell, and then Dave Richard. By the way, we're in season. Dave does a great job at FFT online as well. I do miss the offseason when we take those future fantasy football headlines uh, with DR right there. And uh, Dave, before we get into some other topics, what was your biggest takeaway fantasy-wise from Thursday Night Football? Well, where the heck was Marquez Valdez-Scantling? That was a player that a lot of people wanted to have go off for their fantasy teams. I thought he'd be a good flex play. He was totally out of commission. I don't know what the Packers were thinking by not going for it on fourth and two, but Aaron Jones, at least we know what we've got in him. He's going to be the Packers' best running back and a number one fantasy running back for not just the rest of this season, but probably the next three, four seasons. Oh, there we go. All right, so tell me why this week Dak, Dak Prescott is a sneaky sleeper, Dave. Well, he's been outstanding. Three of his last four games, 21-plus fantasy points. And really, ever since Amari Cooper came to Dallas, all of his numbers have gone up. His pass attempts per game, his completion percentage is up to 70%. And he's taking on a Falcons defense. They're terrible against the pass. They've allowed 21-plus fantasy points to seven of the last eight quarterbacks they've faced. Here's the thing. Dak's going to be good this week. But I like a, a lot of other quarterbacks better. I don't think he's got as much upside as other passers do. There was someone in the office yesterday who was thinking about starting Dak over Aaron Rodgers. I told him, don't do that. And Aaron <laughs> Rodgers came through, thank goodness. Otherwise, I would have gotten an earful for it. I think Dak is going to get you right around 21, 22 fantasy points. He won't finish as a top 12 quarterback this week. But if you've got Tom Brady and Brady's your only starter, you need somebody to replace him. Dak is one of the quarterbacks that you could turn to. You said you would take a handful of guys maybe over Dak. Can you give us maybe a, a couple of names there that you prefer? I'll, I'll give you two, and these are guys that are on the waiver wire. Marcus Mariota, I'm just very impressed by what I've seen from him over the last couple of weeks. He's also stepped up in his last two games. And Eli Manning has a great matchup against Tampa Bay. His offensive line is starting to play better, and I think that will help him put up some good numbers this week too. Man, throwing up Eli Manning. It's just like, this I know, is why it's we so listen. It's so hard to do. It's so tough to do. <laughs> That's why we listen to you guys because nobody in their right mind would say, Eli Manning, I'm going to play him. Right. You know, so that's good stuff there. Um, you mentioned, uh, the Eagles a little bit. Of course, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys got the win over Philly last week. And so the Eagles wide receiving core, I mean, at some point, they're healthy now, yes, uh, but what do we make in the outlook of that wide receiver group? Look, they're going to have to throw the ball. They're playing the Saints in New Orleans, and Philadelphia's secondary is in rough shape. So you know that Alshon Jeffrey's going to get a ton of targets, and he's going to come through. But he's kind of the 1A top receiver in this offense. Zach Ertz is the other one. So all the other receivers for Philadelphia are risks for fantasy. Golden Tate, if he was more assimilated into this offense last week, I think I'd have a little more faith in him, but for now, I think he's a low-end flex, and I think he's a big risk. Same thing with Nelson Aguilar, and Jordan Matthews isn't even on the fantasy radar right now, despite the fact that he's getting two, three catches a week. Uh, biggest game of the of the weekend, the, the Chiefs and the Rams. Is there any player that you're worried about in, in that game? That I'm worried about in that game? Yeah. You know, I think Josh Reynolds might cross the worry radar a little <laughs> bit just because he's going to play in the slot. And Kansas City's secondary has actually been playing well. Their whole defense has been playing well the last couple of weeks, but it's not enough to make you sit Goff or Gurley. It's not going to make you sit Cooks or Robert Woods. And on the other side of the ball, I think the only player that people are worried about in Kansas City is Sammy Watkins, and he's been limited in practice this week, but he's expected to play. That Rams pass defense is terrible, and I think Sammy Watkins will take advantage. You're going to start pretty much everybody who you've been starting already in this game. It's going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't use the DSTs. Chiefs DST, get them out of there. Rams DST, forget about it. They won't be any good. 
No, there's going to be like 70 points or more scored in this game, so those DSTs will not be performing, always performing, Dave Richard. Hey, Dave, thanks for stopping by off the bench, man. Good talking to you, buddy. Anytime, guys. Have a great week. All right, so now we talk fantasy. Yep. We uh, hinted in one of our updates, and that's uh, in the college ranks in football, and that's Ed Oliver, a guy that some people love as a prospect. Yeah. Right? Talking about either one of the best D-linemen, let alone one of the best players taking non-quarterbacks in next year's draft. Out of Houston, got into it with his head coach, Major Applewhite, and this is a guy who hasn't played, uh, he's been healthy really his first two full years. Right. Roger, right? And then he hasn't played, got a bit of an issue in his knee there for the last three, four games, and then here's what happens. He hasn't been active, and apparently to be on Houston's squad to wear like a parka slash jacket in their game, you have to play. Why? Well, Ed Oliver's not playing, then they get into this whole thing, and he's getting into it there in the red hoodie, of course, getting in it with coach. You see it, you read a little bit about it, what do you think? I think it's ridiculous. Why do I have to be on an active roster to wear a jacket if it's cold outside? Like, that's stupid. Uh, every coach, not every coach, the the good coaches don't have these dumb rules. that are. That's a stupid rule. It's an asinine thing. When a man can't wear a jacket because he's not on the active roster, that's just stupid. Now, what I don't know is whether or not there's some grumblings in the building that maybe the kid's not hurt. You've seen some college kids start to protect their interests in terms of professional like draft status. What's it supposed to be? A bruised knee? Like maybe that's creeping in, and Apple White was had just had enough. But on the surface, that's a stupid, ridiculous thing. And we've seen it with Nick Bosa over at Ohio State shutting it down. Said, "Look, sorry, man, I got to I got to prep for the pros. I got to go." Here's the interesting thing, and, and again, you you offer the the player perspective in terms of no coach. Like so, Ed Oliver came with Tom Herman before a game. So Major Apple White kind of inheriting yeah. Ed Oliver, a star player. Major Applewhite's going to be there, obviously, when Ed Oliver goes to the NFL. So right. Trying to, it seems on the outside looking in, trying to set these rules. It's like no, no player's better than the team. No but it's a stupid rule. It really is. Like, right? I mean, no, I, I'm all for that, though. Like, cause, it, and there is, um, you know, there can be a little bit of turmoil when you've got an old star from an old regime and now you got a new coach and he's culturally trying to change what that old guy's used to doing and so on and so forth. So yeah, there's some validity to that. But as, like, this particular one, Jackets on a cold night, like you're talking about making meetings or being somewhere early or being places on time or study halls or, or things like that that are like integral to like the fabric of what you do in the DNA of your program, culture building type of things. But jackets, like we talk about jackets, like you know what I mean? Like this is the most asinine thing I've ever seen. And Major Applewhite, like listen, this is what I, I don't always want to take it here, but dog, let the policeman get off your left side. Right? Go see brother in the hallway and talk about them jackets there. I bet his stance wouldn't nearly be the same. That's ridiculous. How different is it? And I know it's, you know, basketball, football, baseball have different nuances to the culture of the sports, but like the difference between a college experience in a locker room and a pro experience in a locker room. Uh, there are not as many rules in the pros, is there? Like when you get to the NBA, is there as many like, you gotta do this, you gotta have this, this is the rule here. No, clearly like you're, you're student athletes and, and you're young, younger men when you're in college. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of boxes that you have to check in college in terms of, you know, study halls and, and the mandatory weightliftings that could be in the morning and stuff like that, that that you have to do. Um, by the time you get to the pros, for the most part, they expect you to do it on your own. You're grown men. Like in college, they want to make sure they've made that investment. They want to make sure that you're eligible to play and stuff like that. By the time you get to the pros, for the most part, they expect you to handle your business like a professional. Um, and so there, there's less stuff on your plate, but it can become harder because if you're not prepared and you haven't been conditioned to manage your own time, 
you could fall into a really bad place as a pro. You know, some guys coming out early while they're ready physically to play um, and even mentally on the court, emotionally um, and, and mentally off the court, they're not ready to handle themselves like a pro and like a grown man and to prioritize and to make sure they're at places on time and they get what they need to get done because you don't have somebody babysitting you to do it all the time. So we hinted on the Rockets a little bit, talking about Melo and the drama. We even really touched on the Golden State Warriors and the other side of yeah. the drama that they brought in. They lose, of course, uh, at Houston, rematch of last year's Western Conference Finals. Low-scoring game, but you did see Draymond and KD back on the court. Still no Steph. Even early on, we made a joke on HQ, started the highlight. On the break, yeah. Draymond passing to KD. Right. They have to answer it again. How long do you envision this last, in terms of the media push and, cause you're on this side of it now too. Yeah. Like what would they have to prove to you to say, man, we don't have to maybe bring this up anymore? Uh, I don't think for, for me personally, they don't have to prove anything. I think this, this goes away for them the next time they're on the basketball court. Like I, I don't think it's an issue anymore. I think that they put it behind them. Last night you heard Steve Kerr kind of say his team was banged up like physically and spiritually. I think that it played out like that. You could see that they were down a little bit. They will be fine by the next game. In terms of the story um, and the cycle ending for the media, I don't know. I would say another week or so. Once they get back to winning games, um, they should be fine. But you got to factor in also that you don't have Steph Curry in the lineup. So you can't hang all of the reason that they're losing on the relationship between Draymond and KD. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I hear you. And that's just one of those things, though. Every day they're going to talk about it. Obviously, they clearly don't want to talk about it. They're trying to to dispel everything and explain everything once. Yeah, but, uh, we in the media we have a tendency to keep poking a little bit and keep prodding. The way the way you the way you put that to bed is you come out, you you look good and you win a game. And once you win a game, and then you win another game, like it's 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 done. I trust me, those guys. While I do think it will be something that KD will factor in when it comes time to to decide whether he wants to be in Golden State or not. Like, ultimately, you know, big picture, I think that comes into play for him. In terms of this season, I don't think it's something that's going to linger. I don't think it's going to be something that that kind of derails their opportunity to win a championship. All right, so we're going to wrap things up here with one of the most exciting players in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Apparently he has, like, a food choice that will either gain him some followers or maybe have some people hitting the unfollow button. But first, uh, let's start with hearing from one quarterback. I don't think it's that weird, but I put it on my macaroni and cheese. But people seem to think that's a weird thing. Some people think that's disgusting, but I mean, it's good to me. Do you have a brand you stick with? Uh, not really. I do. I have hunts. I do Heinz. I do. I do it all. Uh, my favorite probably is the Water Burger ketchup, but I'm mean, that's Texas people would know that. What? First, like on a lot of levels, Tommy. First of all, mac and cheese ketchup. I don't eat mac and cheese, but I eat it with hot sauce a lot. But Do you? Ketchup, yeah. All right, so it's not that far fetched for steak you. Steak and stuff, though, too. That's another yeah. thing that he's getting a little bit of flack for in terms of uh, ketchup on a steak. A lot of people say you shouldn't even put like a one or anything on a steak. Yeah, my boy. Yeah, that's like blasphemous for some people. My boy's like a one on their steak. Um, uh, I didn't even know there was another brand of ketchup other than Heinz. I just Ooh, remember somebody else makes like, ketchup. I just remember there was like ketchup, and then there's like the ketchup, right? The one that spelled it with the C, <laughs> a little more watery. <laughs> I think when I was right, 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 right. school and it got there, but but he and he mentioned Whataburger. I'm sure they're going to reach out to him. He could have laid out any ketchup company. Sure, your point, and then gotten some love from them. So. Uh- you have any, any other weird food things that you do? Oh, like, I, see, I'm, I'm. We're just talking about this. We had our Friendsgiving here yeah. at HQ uh, yesterday, and I am a condiment guy. Yep. So I build my food around my condiments, not my condiments around my food. Okay. So, you? for example, oh, well, like I just like will load up. Like I'll just like when we get like little packets of ketchup. I'm yeah. really grabbing like handfuls of ketchup just so I could have food with my fries. I'm literally almost like one packet of ketchup for like two for fries. two fries, That's huh? Correct. So you want some fries with your ketchup? That's um. 
Yeah, I grabbed the cornbread. Like, I, yeah. so I do some weird. I don't like a lot of meat, right? I don't eat any real. Uh, I only eat ground beef. It's the only meat I'll eat, right? Um, for the longest, I didn't eat any like meat. red meat or chicken. You, 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 any like any no meat. chicken, okay. no fish, no no anything. Um, so that's weird. Um, I like fries with a one sauce. I'm a big fry guy, so I'll eat fries with a one or like mustard or stuff like that. I could the fries are the star for me. The the condiments like I just like a different taste on them. I had my beef with this is I was leaving the building the other day with the Friendsgiving. Um, I only got to see the cornbread because cornbread was the only thing laid out. Yeah. The cornbread was really like wet <laughs> and it had corn in it. Yeah. And I don't like, I think it's blasphemous to have corn in your cornbread. Mm. Like I, I, oh, actual corn, corn, actual corn. Like, and if you do, it should be like, it should be scarce. It should be like just an accent. This was like full of corn. Like every bite had three kernels of corn in it. And I love cornbread. And that it pissed me off. Like, I was like, it ruined my day, man. I'm that mad about cornbread. And with that, thanks for catching off the bench. Shout out to John DeMuzio, our DLP. Happy birthday. Have a great weekend. We'll see you. No corn in the cornbread. No. No corn in the cornbread. <laughs>